0: Welcome to the label podcast, a show about disability, illness, and difference. I'm Lucy
1: and I'm Alice. I'm so much more
0: what, what you see. And we that's low lives differently, kaleidoscope, identity, and this is who I meant to be. I'm just labeled me.
1: I'm just Don't forget, in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website.
0: Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Labelled Podcast. I am Lucy, and I'm here with Alice. Hi,
1: Alice. Hi, Lucy. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
1: I am okay. I am slightly nervous about technology today, but yes. uh, we will see how it goes.
0: Fingers crossed, everybody. (laughs) Uh, Without further ado, do you want to introduce our guest today?
1: Yes. Uh, So I came across our guest today when I was doing some research for uh, one of the Bond movies that I covered as part of our uh, disability technology series and the lead up to our disability technology series uh, when I talked about No Time to Die. Um, Jen, who is our guest today, wrote a really interesting article about it. And I reached out thinking, oh, this would be really interesting to talk about. And it turns out Jen is much more than um, an opinionated disabled person about Bond movies. She's an author, uh, she's a book reviewer, and a disability advocate. And uh, yeah, really excited to have her on. Jen, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I mean,
2: I think really I should change my bios. That is just opinionated disabled person. I think that should be like my number one thing. I've never really considered that before. I think that works quite
0: well. <laughs> That's what we like as a labelled Excellent. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah opinions. <laughs> yes,
1: definitely. Um, so, yeah, I, I did. I took over a little bit there on the introductions, Gem. If you'd like to introduce yourself uh, properly for our, our listeners?
2: Sure Uh, I always panic when people ask me to sum up what I do so what in short what I do is books I think that that is the shortest summary I could possibly do but the long version of that is that I write books I'm an author I've written 12 books for children and adults spanning nonfiction, fiction fiction picture books and poetry I'm also a book reviewer I review books online, in print and on the radio and um, I have worked in the publishing industry for over 15 years now, Um, first as a bookseller and then as an author but also a freelance editor, a book reviewer and a content creator. I run a YouTube channel which I've now been doing for 10 years which is slightly scary to think about, let's not dwell on time passing too (laughs) much, Um, where I review books. Talk about the publishing industry and other things that i'm passionate about like representation of disability in the media the history of fairy tales um and yeah all of that good stuff and then i do some teaching as well i run writing workshops do some editorial lots of different things i just like to keep it interesting
1: yeah you yeah know? don't want to get
2: bored do lots of different things i
1: uh, have to say the thing that stood out for me most in that long list uh, Jen is that YouTube's been around for more than ten years. That makes me feel really, really old. I feel I know, we're all ancient. Yeah, I feel like
0: six depressing me. Yes. But
2: at least it has evolved from, you know, cat videos, which is what I think that's what all video platforms originate as cat videos. <laughs> which to be on it is fair enough. Yeah
0: see the cat videos um, are dancing. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know if when it's yes or cats dancing yep. So yep. you know have them all together yeah so i think youtube started didn't it when probably when i was at university i want to say like 2005
0: 2006
2: mm. um so it's been around oh god nearly 20 years let's not. <laughs> let's not let's not
0: let's not i think i found a gray hair <laughs>
1: So you've recently released a new book, Jen, haven't you?
0: I
2: have. It is called Please Do Not Touch This Exhibit, which is um, my second full-length poetry collection published by Blood X. And it is an examination of memories dealing with disability. So I wanted to write about hospital experiences um, because I'm a disabled person and I spent a lot of time in hospital when I was a kid. I had over 30 operations um, and kind of pair that with poems about going through IVF as a disabled adult, um, which I've been doing over the past six, seven years. Um, and. It's always, I don't know why I always forget this. I think maybe you have to as an author. I forget that people are going to read your work when it's finished. (laughs) I'm just going to write about these very casual topics. It's fine. At the end, I'm like, oh, yeah, people
0: will People read read this this now. Um, But
2: they do. They do. Um, And it was slightly cathartic, I think, at first and interesting um, and then definitely more difficult towards the end. But I'm very glad that I wrote it. Um, I think it helped my brain at the time of writing. But one of the things that I did as research, I suppose, for the collection was to request my childhood hospital notes, which I'd never done before. And those made for really interesting reading. Mm. That was, uh, I don't know, like a weird out-of-body experience. I know that those notes are not intended for us. um, But, yeah, reading doctor's letters written in the 80s oh. mm, yes yeah, yeah. lots of mentions of me as an interesting specimen Ouch. Um, and my favourite my favourite I have to say was a letter that a doctor wrote marvelling at how my parents had had another child and how my sister was completely normal <laughs> and when I read that I was like <laughs> I beg to do Have you met my sister
0: absolutely
2: <laughs> not <laughs> So yeah, that was interesting.
0: I often say that um, my medical records. I think if they had the opportunity, they would be carried in by a series of lumpers just down the corridor, carrying like files and stuff. Going here, you go here, you go. <laughs> Which decade would you like? Uh, it is quite amazing, really. So exactly.
2: Yeah, I always have to stop myself when I go to the hospital, and you know, you say your name at the check-in desk, and they go to get your notes yep. from the pile behind and. it's very obvious which one is mine the one that is a million times bigger than everyone else's but i feel like it's rude to point that out so i
1: just wait yeah Yeah. it's really bizarre i i haven't requested my medical records but i had a hospital appointment earlier this year um and a doctor said super casually about how oh well you know you you first had cataracts in your eyes at 13 and i was like I don't think anybody bothered to tell me that it just feels a bit <laughs> like doctors went oh well there's this this and this and they were like you know it was what 1999 she doesn't need to know it's fine mm. sort of looking it's quite they are quite a a phenomenon uh, medical records i think
2: yeah i remember after my um grandpa died for some reason i think my dad was looking at his medical notes and discovered a doctor had written down that he thought that my grandpa had Parkinson's maybe like five or six years before he was ever diagnosed with it. I, he must have gone for an appointment for something else, mm-hmm. you know, his hand was shaking or something. But yeah, no one ever told him that either. I don't know why they're trying to protect us or what, but it does seem a bit strange when it's our bodies that they're talking
0: about. Yeah, I can remember when I was at school. When I was at school. I had like doctors come to the school because I was, I went to a special school. Um, and they you know, they do like checkups, it wasn't like a full, like proper doctor's appointment, but they do checkups. And my pediatrician, who I had had and retired, and I got a new one in, and he sat me on the end of the this like medical bed and was looking at my spine as I was sat there and went, Did you know you've got a curvature of your spine? And I went, No. <laughs> But thanks for telling me, I <laughs> think. He was like, Yeah, I He goes, You wouldn't be able to notice it if you weren't looking for it, but it does like sort of bow a little bit. I was like, Oh thank you. Thank you for adding that. And they were like, Is your chair all right? Did I can say add to that to the list. Like, yes. Just a medical marvel, really. Um but yeah, it's a bit bizarre yeah, when they We all
2: are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit bizarre when they say sort of like, Oh, did you know you've got this? Like, no but just add it to the just add it to the list
1: that's what I I when you said the name of your new book Jen that kind of I think that that's a really excellent kind of title choice because it does you know when you've been disabled your whole life like the three of us have there is that element of feeling like you're on display and it is that kind of you know people looking at your bodies and going oh well look at this interesting thing and you sort of go um you, you know, you know that's my leg. It's, you know, I, I, it's there on me every day. It's not just this interesting thing for you to poke at at the museum.
2: Yeah, definitely. I've always been really interested in the history of the Victorian freak mm. Um People with my medical condition were called lobster children, or at least part of my medical condition. Part of it is ectrodactyly, which is uh, missing and misshaping, misshapen fingers. And um, it was crudely referred to as lobster claw because uh-huh. your hands looked a bit claw-like, yeah. especially if you didn't have any surgery to help, um, which obviously they wouldn't in Victorian times. So I've always been really interested in the history of The Freak Show and that weird thing of thinking about, well, what if you'd be born in a you know, different time? Um, but I think that people on the whole, non stable people think that The Freak Show doesn't really exist anymore. And I think it does, just in different guys. Absolutely. You know, and I think medical settings can be one of them. Yeah. I remember some uh, doctors coming over from the States, I think, for a conference and me being called in because my surgeon wanted to show his friend from America, you know, mm. me, because I was the only person with this condition on his list, as he said, um, and being poked and, and prodded at. But you just, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because... I find that often I, because I have a very rare condition that I am a guinea pig for doctors to study and that can be very othering and awkward but at the same time you feel that responsibility because you know that if you didn't do that and if they didn't observe you they maybe wouldn't be able to help other people mm. so it's this balance of trying <laughs> but then also that feeds into the being the good disabled person which I think we feel the pressure to be All quite a lot yeah. being weak and um, objective yeah yes yeah. um, bu- and yeah sorry i was on. just to say
1: it, it what it yeah. makes me immediately think of is the fact that there are surgeons who are coming into um you know being proper grown-up surgeons with proper grown-up jobs now who have had to be who've been practicing on ai and stuff like that and because people aren't donating their body to medical science anymore um, there's lots of people who are getting really far you know through their their studies and their qualifications without having ever actually dissected a corpse and um, you know their, their first operations are on live people are on patients um, and um, that it's it is that sort of you know talking about the feeling of responsibility because there's also a, a element for me of kind of going well you know I feel like I have the emotional resilience to put up with this and if it helps somebody with the same condition later on Mm. um and I think you know that's one side of it and I think the the issue is the other side of it of the doctors you know not recognizing that not recognizing what we're putting into it all they're recognizing is what they're getting out of it
0: I've said to you before Alice that some of my worst experiences of ableism have been in hospital settings medical settings because they you mm-hmm. know doctors nurses healthcare professionals they open their mouth about really thinking about what they're saying and you just think i cannot believe you just said that i've been told that if i was if if they were like me they'd kill themselves um i've been told i'm fascinating which is not really what you want to hear uh when they're trying to figure out what's wrong with you you're fascinating thank you I think um it, yeah it can you can leave a nasty taste in your mouth can't it
2: definitely and I think the and even us talking like this and I completely agree with it I still have that voice in the back of my head that feels like I should be saying but also doctors are brilliant and I'm very grateful <laughs> like yeah, I, hate yeah. that I feel like that too oh goodness um, so I hope that that goes without saying some of them are brilliant. But yes, I think that emotional disconnect they have to have in order to be able to do their mm. job can be pushed way too far. And that's very difficult. And I think an extreme example of that, like pushing it really, really far, um, is uh, John Hunter, who was uh, a collector of disabled bodies. he made The Hunterian Museum in London which still exists. He um, put bodies on display, and they're still on display right now. And it was closed recently for refurbishment. But one of the skeletons on display there is a man called Charles, who to be called the Irish Giant, and he died in the 1700s. He was a member of a freak show because he couldn't get a job anywhere else. And um, Hunter heard about him and had said that when he died, he wanted him in his museum. And Charles didn't want to be in his museum, so um, he was a very he was very depressed because of being at the show and other things, and he um, had alcohol, alcohol poisoning. He died in his 20s and he paid sailors to bury him at sea. But Hunter then paid the sailors more mm, than yeah. he had and stole his body and put him in the Hunterian Museum. And he's still there. So there was a huge petition, I say huge, I don't know how huge, there was a petition um, to have his body buried. In accordance with his wishes, and I believe that it's now been agreed that he won't be on display anymore. But you know, several hundred years to yeah late. But that's the extreme version, isn't it? It's the, like, well, you're not human to me, and I don't care about your wishes. I wish to make money off you because you're, as you slowly see, mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, we are fascinating, but on our own terms, please. <laughs>
0: yeah. Half of me wants to say, I know, babes, I know, um... I know. <laughs>
1: It's that um, you know the thing I always sort of say is I like my disability absolutely made me who I am today and like I am a very interesting person. Thank you very much for asking, um, but I also think you know it's it's not uh, what's not fascinating is the is the kind I I can I can understand my my brother is a a scientist he's a he's a statistician but he started off as a as sort of a, an animal biology zoologist and i see in him that fascination of how things work and how things fit together and i can see why that's interesting in a lot of ways you know genetics and stuff like that i find it fascinating to think about how you know you can your great granddad can have blue eyes, and then nobody in your family can have blue eyes, and then boom, suddenly there they are again. Um, mm. I suppose that comes from having a rare genetic condition. I probably that's why I find genes interesting. But um, it's it, it is it, it's just the dehumanisation element of it. You know, the there is there are multitudes of reasons why I am fascinating, and part of that is a you know comes from my disabled experience but i mean you know it's repeating what you said it's that you you know scientists and doctors they they have to disassociate they have to distance themselves to be able to do their jobs but you sort of think there must be a middle ground to also see your patients as people yeah
2: and not be offensive and i think that um yeah yes (laughs) yes <laughs> the bar is low isn't it? Yes. So that's what we would like yes. um, and I think uh, historically when science was understood less um, that fascination did materialize in more interesting ways I mean still potentially offensive ways but
1: interesting
2: um, so P.T. Barnum who uh, ran Everybody will know you who Peter Barnett that,
1: is now, thanks to
2: the great. Oh, I know because of that. That wonderful film say. that I love. I, I personally <laughs> no. never
1: saw it, but um, I've listened to enough no. history podcasts I, I, to know who he was and what a terrible person he was, and the awful things he did to a whale. Uh,
2: what? Yes, what? To, what? A whale. What? <laughs> um, to people of colour. To, you know just the list goes yeah. on and on really. there's a um,
1: yeah i think it's there's a you're dead to me about him loose listen yeah. to it it's terrible he did okay. terrible things really okay yeah. that's tonight's list isn't it? um
2: and he said uh, along with lots of other people who also said this that he thought disabled people were proof of evolution that they were part animal part human um and that's how he would sell the acts mm-hmm. that he had in his... Sec- Whether he genuinely believed this, I don't know. That was probably the showmanship. Like, that's a good sell, yeah. isn't it? He would then name people after animals. So, like lots of children, or mm-hmm. the lion woman, or the dog-faced man, for instance. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we used to come up with stories for why things had potentially happened. It's why the changeling myth exists, which was particularly prevalent in the 1800s, which was the belief that, if you were born disabled, it was because a fairy had stolen your, inverted commas, real child and had replaced it with a disabled baby, and people would try and exorcise their children in the name of getting their, their, quotes, real child back, which is completely horrific. Um, But we still do that, mythologising when it comes to disability today and to other things that we don't understand. I mean, when I was born, I was born in January 1987, which was nine months exactly after Chernobyl. So my parents were told that I was born with the disability I had because of radioactive rain that had come across Europe and rained down on northern England. And statistically, there were more children born with limb differences in the north of England in the two years following Chernobyl. But it's just a bit folkloric, isn't it? It's not something that you could ever prove. And it is interesting, again, in inverted commas, to think about. Because it's so strange that something from so far away could have an impact on yeah. on, on you. Like it, it is a weird thing to think about. So I do find that kind of thing, I suppose objectively interesting. Loose
1: It also smacks a bit of kind of the blame game for it as well, of yeah. you know, well you're this this either this is not my fault that you know, or, or this is you know, and I, I'm it's so familiar and so ingrained that I can actually remember you know it took me I've talked about it on the show before about how long it took me to really be okay with the fact that I have a disability and I can remember having a conversation Mm. with my mum at some point in my teens and basically saying did you drink while you were pregnant with me as if that you know as if for one my you know degenerative sight loss is is not something that happens if you're parent was drinking during pregnancy um but it's mm, that it mm. is that exactly where, even as disabled people we're kind of trained to to go well whose fault is this this is the bad thing that has happened yeah. what? Why, why has it happened whose fault is it i think lucy you even said once that wasn't it somebody you met on tinder or something told you you should have sued the hospital oh yes yeah, you've yeah. got cerebral palsy
0: I mean, Tinder, I've given up. It's a cesspit. I really have given up on uh, finding anybody nice, to be honest. Uh, and I genuinely mean that. But yeah, they, they said, um, when, you know, when it came to the the question, you know, they, they have to ask me what I do for a living. I work in the disability sphere. So naturally, the conversation is I work for such and such a company. Uh, it's very close to my heart because I'm disabled. I don't make a big deal out of it. It's just what it is, what it is. And he said, well, why, how come you're disabled? I said I was born eight weeks early and I had a lack of oxygen to my brain, which looking back now is probably a bit too much information to tell a random stranger on the internet, but I did because at that time I didn't know any better. And he said, oh, you should have sued the hospital. And I said, why? It's nobody's fault. (laughs) Like Things happen, don't they? It's like 1987. There are kids these days who are born at a far earlier period of time in the pregnancy journey who are absolutely fine they come out of the whole ordeal and they are non-disabled that's because technology and medical science has moved on so much more than it was in 1987 which if you think about it a bit too much is a little bit depressing because you're like if I was born now probably would be walking around sort of but then i think to myself i wouldn't change my life for
1: but also you know, like, Sundays. It, it, there's no guarantee of that like you know you were born early and there was you know oxygen the, you had limited oxygen and it's it, it is just it's just one of those things it still happens to babies and it will yeah. all continue to happen to babies and yeah. it's but it, it just it's one of those things that I think it's it's so ingrained in our society to to look around and go well who who did this who's Why to blame is, instead of just going yeah it's and people people do ask me you know what what happened to you and my my favourite thing to say is to turn around and say to them say just say to them I was born <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> this mess was born because that's that's
1: what happened that's what happened like yeah you know i am i am a freak genetic mutation in my family there's no other history of it in my entire family no. and so here i am <laughs> it's just nobody could have known nobody could change it
0: but i know as well that my mom also feels a level of guilt about ha- you know what happened to me and Things like that, but I, I always say to her, and I want her to know that I don't blame her for it. I get frustrated sometimes about the fact that it takes me twice as long to do stuff that a non-disabled person can do. But it's not—that's not me being.
1: Um, oh God, I, I hate this. I'd also challenge anybody who's had a baby to like stop having a baby. Just being like, oh no, ch- it's too it's too soon, I'm just gonna cross my legs. Put ba- like put it's not back like face. your mum went, oh you know what, I've I've had enough of this, out you come. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, too, I'm guilty too for, for Yeah, your mum shouldn't it, feel mm-hmm. guilty. It's it makes me really sad that your mum feels guilty for an uncontrollable biological function. <laughs> I like, know, I it's know. not like it's it's not like she decided to go for a bungee jump. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like
0: how do I get this baby out of me <laughs> but um yeah it's it's just yeah it's it's. It, and when I think about you know uh, uh what my life could be like as a non-disabled person it's a bit like thinking about how a fax machine works it boggles my mind a little bit I mean people listen to this <laughs> and like, what the hell is a fax machine but um yeah it's uh it's, it's yeah you kind really of, aged just... yourself that loose <laughs> yeah i realized as soon as i said it <laughs> um but yeah it kind of like it's, it's just weird like to think oh i wonder what i would be doing as a as a non-disabled person because it's just so alien
1: isn't it but you'd be a different person well that, yeah yeah yeah
2: you would and i think that's why i am i'm guessing too prefer the term disabled person to a person with disability because it's not a handbag that we can put down and walk away from exactly. It's like so ingrained and enmeshed and it's difficult to separate anything yeah you can't really separate this. no but I think you're right people do like certainty people like answers mm. people feel very unnerved when it comes to the unknown and in between spaces and also they want resolution I think if you look at any for instance Instagram posts where disabled people are talking about ableism mm. all the comments are like oh my god you should complain have you done this yes. have you written to pearls have you have you done xyz they're like why is the onus on the disabled person a to fix this thing instead of you know society actually thinking how can we maybe be more accepting and less ableist in general and more accessible mm. yeah but also it's exhausting to try and have to not fix disability because we're not about that life but to to fix society all the time to try and make those changes to complain to point out when things aren't just because if we did that we
1: wouldn't just talking about it makes me just want to crawl back under the duvet so i'm so tired already please don't make me do this as well
0: as also as well like people go, oh my God, you should complain, like that's not right. You should do you should do this, that and the other. And you think to yourself, I have just been through a quite traumatic event that I'm telling you about. And you want me to go and relive it to somebody who might just fill a form in and not care anyway. And nothing will get done. Like it is exhausting. Yeah. Alice and I, we've we've had situations, haven't we Alice, where we've sort of raised concerns with people at events and things like that. We won't go into too much detail because when we, whenever we do it's like opening a can of worms. But that um the, I found that whole thing exhausting. We got to the point where we were like, we've just got to stop talking about it because it's just... Prepared. This thing is like on a hamster wheel and they're like, you should you should do this, you should do that, you should do the other. And you're like, can you just... Can you just not be supportive without telling me what to do? Like, you know, be outraged. And I, but think, then, then I think say, the
1: thing is, there's never... The thing is just that... <laughs> it doesn't change so when you do kick Mm. up a fuss and complain and you know campaign and all of that stuff you just it just ends up with like piecemeal lip service stuff and nothing actually Mm. changes then you're just like I exhausted myself for nothing and a bunch of people are patting themselves on the back for making a huge difference and changing the world and Actually, for me, who's still sitting here and having to deal with this shit every day, it's the fucking same. Mm -hmm. And in six weeks, a bunch of non-disabled people are going to be going, "Oh, you should complain again." Yeah, it's just like I
2: just—it's like sticking your head above the parapet, isn't it? You've got to really pick your moment. Mm. And like with that Bond article you were talking about, Alice, I—I wrote it, and I'm glad that I did, but I can't do stuff like that all the time. You should have seen the state of my inbox, (laughs) like the state of my inbox, all these middle-aged white men who will defend James Bond until they die going, don't you know it's a literary trope? Don't you know that it's just fiction? You know, because the article in question, uh, to elaborate a bit, was about um, uh, the die-hard want for Bond producers to have villains with the significance in their franchise, and um, how they will not let go of it, even though every time a movie comes out, they been quizzed about it, and they say it's a world quote where they feel incredibly comfortable. I'm like, well, good for you. I'm so glad. For you. Yeah. Oh yeah. this is great. I'm
0: quite glad I've never seen a Bond <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, like, yeah,
2: there are some good things about them, but it's just there are a lot of uh, things that maybe we should move
1: away from. Well, and one of the things that, that was really interesting for me about your article, Jen, was the point that you made that uh, that there has been an active effort to try and improve racial and female sort of gender representations Mm -hmm. in those movies to try and update them. And it, it's something that I know I have said before, and I'm very conscious as a white person to be saying, but I think that the internet's very good at going, that's racist. That's not acceptable. And that there's not as many voices going that's ableist that's not acceptable certainly not amongst mainstream and yeah it's the same for feminist issues there are plenty of women who will go i'm fucking not having this that's you know that's that's a problem
0: yeah somebody on the corner of the internet is going calm down love but i also think that when you say oh like people don't raise the issue that, oh, that's ableist. I think it's because a lot of non-disabled people don't know what ableism is. They just like, they think it's a made up word that we've made yeah. up. They're like, well, I've never heard of that. No, you've never heard of that because you've never been bothered to educate yourself and listen to disabled people because I genuinely think that non-disabled people are scared of becoming disabled and that's why they don't talk about it. That is genuinely what I think. But yeah, they've never heard of ableism. Even my mum said, um, once, I can remember, yeah. she went, "What? what is What is that? <laughs> you made that up? I was like, no, no, I've not made it up. It's like racism. I can remember know, and... within
1: the last few years hearing a report on the BBC where they talked about something being disabilism. And I was like, that's the wrong word. You, you, that's not the right, you're using the wrong word. <laughs> what are you doing?
0: <laughs> what is that word? <laughs> I think
2: it's like all the... What is that word quite? It's even more prevalent now, sadly, though, in the last four years, disability hate crime in the UK has risen by over fifty percent. Um, because of COVID, there's been this obviously massive um increase in people focusing on people's bodies and how they're presenting. And are you contagious and do you look ill? And I think it's really legitimized, as it did with racism, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, people felt legitimized in their prejudices because they were like oh well but this virus has originated from China so it's perfectly fine if Mm -hmm. I am therefore racist towards Asian people obviously that is not okay and then I think that has definitely trickled into uh, disability as well you know people judging disabled bodies because they're so used to judging and being more aware of people's bodies in general Mm -hmm. Um, and I've definitely noticed that myself Um, I was shielding well still am pretty much and mask up on the tube when I go into a hospital appointment and get hatred from people who like more than I used to get before if I'm reading a book for instance, on the tube and people see my hands people are more likely to move away from me or ask what's wrong with me or say that I must be contagious sure. and that they want to get away from me um so I think that ableism is something I mean we should be talking about it anyway but I think because of this increase in hate crimes and the lack of accessibility, which was so much better at the beginning of the pandemic, right? When workplaces were like, okay, let's talk about remote working. And disabled people were like, really? <laughs> Great. we do be wanting to have this conversation for ages. <laughs> and festivals, I know. Book festivals, etc., cetera, are becoming more accessible, having online events, streaming, and then that now seeping away as people want to, you know, not fund that and get people Back together and all of that, you know, stuff, and so yeah, I think it is something that we need
0: to talk about more. I am not shielding necessarily, but I am very conscious when I do go out Mm. that I don't go out in busy periods. So if I'm going to the shops, I'll go when Mm. it's quieter so that I'm not round lots of people where they can cough over me or you know, get too close whilst fondling an orange or whatever. in the supermarket, <laughs> I was just trying to think of a food, and orange was the first thing that came to mind. So I am very, but I am very conscious of where I go and how long I'm there for, kind of thing. Mm. And when I am in busy periods, I make sure that I've got something covering my face so that you know I'm not coughing over them. But you're still risking people coughing over you, aren't you? Like hand sanitizer, just you know, just being very. I mean, my hands mm. are filthy anyway. I use a wheelchair, but
1: I things. was flabbergasted when I was in London recently and we were the only people on the tube wearing masks. I was like, you really? you people all know COVID is still a thing. Like I was absolutely yeah. flabbergasted. It made me feel like such a tourist, yeah. but yeah. still like a safe, <laughs> protected tourist. A
0: disability tourist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I've got Let's to make, make that a today. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know just and I think I think but people were so so eager to get back to normal in inverted commas like you know like kind of oh, I want to get you yeah. know back I want to be back in the pub and so I did not leave my house for about six months and it got to the stage where when restrictions were lifted my mom had to tempt me out of the house with an ice cream uh, and I would not get out of the car, I sat with the windows up, like, and I'm not breathing anybody there in um, because she was really worried that I was becoming like a hermit. I would not go out of the house. Yeah, mm. it, it was a very scary period. And I'm, you know, I always say I'm, yeah. I'm thankful for this podcast because we set it up during lockdown. It was the one thing that kept me sane, I think.
1: I think I was a key worker during um mm during the pandemic i was going into care homes um doing statutory advocacy and the thing that i'm seeing now with you know the increase in how much people are getting the flu as well as covid you know i'm not going into care homes anymore but i often think of all of the elderly and vulnerable people that i would have been working with who were just just gonna die because people aren't wearing masks anymore and that's the thing that just that like I think people have just forgotten like we can make jokes about it but you know that your inconvenience of not wearing a mask it's just it's making it's letting people die yeah like a massive Mm -hmm. downer I know but you know as we (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah, no it's awful
1: so we continue through the cold winter months like maybe spare a thought when you go to the supermarket and don't sneeze all over the oranges (laughs)
0: <laughs> or just any food in general just don't don't sneeze over food in general, not yeah, just
1: the oranges just... <laughs> and just sanitise before you fondle
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean yeah. that's a good rap. I mean this
2: is getting <laughs> this is turning
1: into a
0: different podcast a <laughs> good life rule I think, just sanitise before you fondle is
1: good just all round If I don't know, I think you could probably kill the mood at some point so that... <laughs>
2: I did find, I, <laughs> I did find it, again, I'm going to use that word interesting. It's obviously not interesting. Mom. It's just depressing. Yeah. But, you know, if we're going to, like, doctors emotionally detach ourselves from the situation. But how interesting, in a word commas, it was um, hearing non-disabled people in 2020 being perplexed and uh, about the uncertainty of their bodies, yeah. you know. Like that that it was the first time for some people they'd ever thought that their bodies might do something that they weren't used to, that they were, as you said, like under the threat in adverse mm-hmm. commons of potentially becoming disabled from something like long COVID and that, that panic, something that they had never like the uncertainty of the future. Mm-hmm. And I I think I had a moment, or oh, well, several moments <laughs> during that period of just thinking. I've never felt certain in my body. Yeah. I've never felt no. certain about the future of my body. Like, I, what is the certainty that you will speak of? Because I am not familiar
1: yeah. with it. It's an alien concept. That, that uncertainty is what crippled me with fear and caused so much internalised ableism for me for yeah. probably the first 25 years of my life. Like, this, sh- like th- isn't this just a regular Tuesday?
0: I mean, Alice, you'll know that my favourite catchphrase is my body's being a dickhead because there are days where i'm like what is this doing <laughs> what what are you doing now can we not just have a day where you don't kick off about something or other because you know I, I how dare i attempt to try and get dressed with you know full face and makeup on and then do something to hurt myself and then hear about it for 3 weeks afterwards that kind of thing it's just you think to yourself uh, you, i i whenever i get a new pain or a new ache i'm like is this here to stay or is it just on a holiday and will leave eventually like do i need to make the spare bed up for it while it stays and lingers for a little while um yeah and is that is that uncertainty i've never really thought about like the feeling of uncertainty of living in a disabled body of like what's it going to do next is something i've never really thought of before but it is quite scary it's fascinating isn't it's it fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating <laughs>
2: Well, I, I couldn't help but laugh when you said that because it's so true that when you get a new symptom and your brain is immediately like, well, I guess this is the rest of my life now. And sometimes it isn't, but it's just what your brain does immediately. You're like, oh, yes, yeah, I will add that to the list. Okay. And then you're like, oh, no, wait, that one was not permanent. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's gone away now. It's fine. It's all right. Um, I, I hurt my arm about three weeks ago, and Alice asked me about two weeks in, and my arm was still hurting me. And uh, she asked me, um, how's your arm? And I went, I think it's here to stay now, Alice, because it just feels like it's hanging off. <laughs> like, oh, it's gone now. It's gone. <laughs> Sorry, I was being a bit dramatic. My arm is fine. Still aches a little bit when I turn over from bed, but it's all right. Like, it's fine. Went away again. <laughs> um, but yeah, you do start to think, oh, no, this is... And also, you we need like a standardised... If it's been that long, it's there to stay rather than... It's been three weeks. I think it might be here to stay and then it bog off a week later. That kind of
1: <laughs> that yeah, would help the uncertainty. You can't, but you can't you can't standardize it because my sciatic pain was around yeah. for probably the best part of two and a half years. Touch wood. Oh it's careful, on.
0: careful. Okay, yeah i know, I know. it's yeah, I saying, I've,
1: I've been having i've been having physio for months and months and months i had one sports massage and like got uh, an essay and yeah. i was like "Why? why does nothing hurt what's going on what did he do what did the you do <laughs> he something wrong because there's nothing wrong oh, no, there's <laughs> still plenty wrong it was just that bit well
0: was yeah I've, I've had a new mattress right and I, I'm going to talk to you about my mattress for a little while Because it's a miracle I, I, the, the arm pain <laughs> happened Because <laughs> I'm so middle aged um, The arm pain was happening while my mattress was rid really, The old mattress was really bad I bought this new mattress that's like memory foam And I was really worried that I was going to get too hot in the bed Because I can't regulate my temperature very well Anyway, the mattress arrived I lay on it The first night was a bit difficult Because I was like, this is really quite hard But keep persevering about two weeks later i was like i woke up one morning and i was like do you know i've had four nights sleep and i've not woken up in the morning with a pain anywhere and then i was like is this a fluke or is this just a i haven't woken up with a pain but i stand there like in the shower thinking oh, sorry sit there in the shower thinking something's bound to start hurting any minute now give it give it 20 minutes <laughs>
1: it'll start
0: hurting. It's just like you're waiting for something to fall off yeah, where is it? Does it hurt now? Oh, Lucy, is this where you segue?
2: Is this where you segue into thing? and today's sponsor of the podcast is Emma
1: Mattress. Thank <laughs> so you so much. for We could get Emma Mattresses to sponsor us, Jen. Oh, Fucking it hell. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's either them or Buscapan. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yes. <laughs> no, we... are we. Are Buscapan. Oh, it's... Yeah, small, small independent podcasts, very open to advertising. If anybody's interested. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, my mattress is is brilliant. So uh, well done. That's that was the problem. It's not my disability. Round of applause for Lucy's mattress. Game.
1: Yay! <laughs> We've solved disability. Yeah, just get a new hey. mattress. That's all you need. Have you? rather than have you it's not yoga it's mattress.
0: rather than have you tried yoga have you tried a mattress (laughs) how long have you had your mattress (laughs) yeah that could be the new one
1: Uh, so Jen you talked a little bit about obviously your YouTube channel um and your books and stuff do you want to tell people about some of the other work that you've done alongside your writing
2: yes so I Used to have a blog back in the day when everyone had a blog, you know, it was not the cool thing because everyone had one. It was cool, it was maybe it was cool if you didn't have one because everybody (laughs) had one. Um, yes, I had a written blog where I was writing book reviews and things, and um, and then I was working as a bookseller and I ended up writing a series of blog posts called Weird Things Customers Say in Bookshops, which was kind of passive aggressive now I think about it actually but it was um, a way of I suppose uh, talking about well some of the ridiculous things that were said to me and other booksellers on a daily uh, basis and those accidentally exploded online and became viral and they ended up becoming a book which wasn't my intention I'd always had this romantic idea of what my first book would be you know it'd be something very literary and fabulous thank you very much But no, it ended up being a book of uh, ridiculous things that people had said to me whilst working in a bookshop. But that's fine because it was, you know, of that time and it was a fun thing to do. And I learned a lot about the publishing industry doing it, actually. But because I then started writing more as part of my job, I was writing poetry. I'd had poetry published before those books, but obviously... Sadly, I hate to tell everybody poetry does not pay the rent. So I was also doing different types of writing as well. And I thought, I don't really want to be doing a blog on top of that um, if I'm writing in my day-to-day life. So I decided I would start a YouTube channel to talk about books because it's a different medium, it's a different format. And I enjoyed watching other people's booktube videos, as they are called. That is the bookish area of the internet. I was slightly nervous to set up. channel because you know putting yourself out there as a disabled person in video format online I was kind of nervous but whilst it is the internet and some people are not very nice the bookish side of the internet in general tends to be a really nice place so yeah I was very glad to have started that channel and have kept at it and I upload a video every Sunday Um, and some blogs are Reading vlogs where I read around the theme, for instance, and then some of them are sit down videos where I'll talk about, as I said, the history of fairy tales or something like that, because that's a subject that I'm passionate about, and then can insert, you know, uh, videos about disability and disfigurement when I, as we were discussing, feel like I can or I have the energy to stick my head above the parapet, say something which may reach outside of my bubble. Uh, so I don't do that as much as I used to I've definitely found and I think it's the case with a lot of us as we get older that I I don't want to share as much of myself online Mm -hmm. um, because who has who has the energy actually
0: well exactly (laughs) the energy
2: to deal with that but occasionally I have done
0: and I think you know I think the way I've watched a few of your YouTube videos in preparation for this interview with you Jed and I, the the feeling i got about your youtube videos is i quite like the way you kind of like very gently sort of weave disability into the whole it's not a big scary like today we're going to talk about this and it's a deep dive for two two and a half hours it's like and it would put people off it's just very like i'm going to talk to you about this and in a sneaky yeah <laughs> sneak, but i think that's what a lot of disabled people have to do when they're bringing up a topic like i mean we we're not sneaky about it are we Alice, really yeah. but um I don't know where smart <laughs> for that. No. No, I don't yeah, it's too much effort. But I think when when yeah. you when you are talking about disability in other areas, I think sometimes you have to be a bit sneaky with it. Like we're not really talking about disability, but actually you are kind of things like hiding a tablet in a piece of meat for a dog is <laughs> really that kind of thing of just doing it very very gently. But I find like even before we started this podcast so we do uh, fabled episodes which are talking about disability mm-hmm. in literature and film and all this kind of thing um which is where alice's doctor no piece came from um mm-hmm. and i often find the sort of fairy tales things fascinating because as a kid it's like it went over my head really you thought oh yeah that's not a disability but actually when you look at mm. it, like take a deep dive into them you're like whoa (laughs) this is like proper really like good talking points for disability and those are some of the most fascinating episodes i think we do aren't they alice um for us anyway i
1: think one of the things that's really interesting about that kind of fairy tales and folklore thing as well is that you know a book comes from generally one person you know a film although you have people contributing to a script and stuff the the story tends to come from a place a person those those fairy tales and those folklore they're built through huge whole cultures and whole societies that you know over years and I think that that tells us so much about what people as a kind of a group think and feel about disability mm. or you know fairies or whatever it is trolls that you're talking about yeah. it's um <laughs> I think that that's one of the things that's really interesting about that kind of that that side of, of those kinds of stories, um, and I imagine yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of kind of,
2: th- I was going to say it also. Oh, no, sorry, sorry Jen. <laughs> I was
1: I was going to lead into you saying something, so please say something.
2: <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting, and also seeing the like by a mission, what is not discussed or not included. Because folklore, folktales, fairy tales, or wonder tales, as some people call them, because they don't actually normally have fairies in them, no, which is why some folklorists like to call them wonder tales. I still call them fairy tales. <laughs> but um, they were, as you say, for everyone. Everybody used to tell them because they were an oral tradition and they were passed down via word of mouth and they would travel around the world, you know, through trade routes, etc. And I really love the on Thompson Uther index as some kind of. Folkloric guide to where fairy tales may have come from. Folklore collected tales and grouped them by tropes mm. and then mapped them out to see how one tale may have traveled, you know, from one country yeah. to another. But even if you do that, you can't solve it. You can't like, work it out because there are versions of Cinderella from China and some from Greece and Egypt. And there were no trade routes open between those places, but they existed around the similar time. So that's really interesting, almost mythological in itself. But even though anyone could tell a folk tale, it was mainly men who wrote them down and and chronicled them. So that's why a lot of the time the female representation.
0: Do you think, Jen, that um, sort of like fairy tales and folklore, uh, things like that, do you think that it gives us a good sort of like insight into how disability has ingrained itself into society a little bit because I often sometimes think actually is that where that originated from you know that belief about a disabled person or you know this belief about a disabled person is that where it it's come from definitely I think fairy tales
2: can capitalize on that
0: definitely like there are a lot of fairy tales use the
2: idea of physiognomy which has been around since ancient Greece which is the belief that a person's soul can be seen in bodily form. Yes. So, for instance, if you had uh, a disfigured soul, I'm using all the air quotes, that therefore you would have a disfigurement. That would indicate that something was morally wrong. With you. Yeah. Um, and during a performance of plays in ancient Greece. Actors would play more than one character and they would have those, you know, those wooden masks, mm-hmm. the theatre masks that you yeah. think of nowadays to denote when they were playing different people. You're right. And often the bad guys would have a mark on their face to denote that this is the bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely feeds into fairy tales, that idea. I guess also because they're very simplified stories, people often don't have names, um, that you would need a quick thing to tell a reader or a listener this person is bad and it will be a shorthand version for that oh they have a disability their body is different yeah. their soul is therefore morally bad mm. um so physiognomy is definitely a huge part of fairy tales um and also feeds into the religious belief of original sin and um you know that i mean we still hear it some days from from some people i mean less than normal but you must have done something bad, your parents must have done something bad, disability is punishment. Yep. That's huge in fairy tales. If you do something bad, your body is changed. And then if you uh repent, then your body changes back again. So for instance, Beauty and the Beast um is a fairy tale that was written in the seventeen hundreds by Suzanne Barbeau, hang on, Suzanne Villeneuve. Um, and it's based on lots of different myths that came beforehand, including the myth of the mind at all, which has been around for forever. But it's thought that her particular tale was also inspired by a real life person called Petrus González, who had hypertrichosis and was born in the 1500s. And his parents sold him into the courts to make some money. So hypertrichosis is when you have lots of hair all over your body. And, um, he was passed around the courts in Europe. And married off to a woman called Lady Catherine by a royal who thought that would be hashtag hilarious. Um, you know, so she set up this wedding. They yeah, never met each yeah. other. It was like punishment for Lady Catherine, but the joke was on her because they fell in love and they had, I think, seven children together. Wow. Um, and it's thought that maybe he was the inspiration for Beauty and the Beast, but of course, in his life, he wasn't born with hypertrophosis no. because he had wronged a fairy, as is what happens in Beauty and the Beast, and he didn't become a, air quotes, beautiful man by uh, making someone fall in love with him for who he is, Mm.
0: which is what happens
2: in Beauty and the Beast. So it's very reductive, it's taking elements of disability but then twisting it to tell some kind of moral story, to teach a non-disabled audience something and make them feel grateful for the bodies that they have etc. etc. A tale as old as time. Doesn't does
1: <laughs> that all tie into the other things we've been saying throughout this recording? Of, mm-hmm. you know, we feel, you know, in ourselves and from social sort of, you know, non-disabled people and the rest of society to point the finger of blame for whose fault is this? Where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Let's give this a reason, give this a story. It can't just be a thing that has happened. And that kind of, definitely, you know, the the feeling of being a good disabled person, of if I redeem myself, if I work with the doctors and the scientists, then maybe I'll get better or maybe I'll feel better about being disabled.
2: Yeah. And like you were saying, Lucy, about being, you know, on Tinder, where you gave more information about your disability than maybe you would now mm, to a stranger. Yeah. I think that we have also been taught that if we could just give people knowledge about our disability, if people could understand Absolutely. us. Then their ableism would go away because we think that ableism is due to ignorance, which sometimes it is, but not always. Um, And I think that we are conned into giving away parts of ourselves in the hope that that will garner
0: respect. And sometimes I think it's the way people say. Ask for it, you know, ask for that information. You think, Oh, they don't mean any harm, mm. but actually, when you tell them, you think this is backfiring yeah. on me completely, yeah. And so, you, you think to yourself, It's kind of backfired on you completely, and then you feel awful because you think, I really shouldn't have given that information away. Do you know what I mean? It's that it's just mm. makes you
2: feel icky. There's something like folklore like about that, isn't there? It's like you've given. It's like they've coaxed a secret out of you, like like in Rumple Siltskin, where the aim is to find his name, yes, and that that lessens his power yep. because he's lost that, yep. and now people know who he is. Yeah, before.
0: it's a bit like being drunk and then oversharing when you're drunk, and then you
1: wake up in the morning and you think, Oh my god, what did, I, what did I say?
0: What have I said? Like,
1: if, if your only problem when you've been drinking is oversharing, then I think you and I've lived very different lives. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: i don't get drunk very often, i have woken up better. with
1: far more regrets than that
0: <laughs> <laughs> i lead a very sheltered life
2: <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's something that non-destructive people forget and something that i would i mean i think we're preaching to the choir here i don't think that anyone listening to this is is, is one of these people but um is that it's all very well and good what's well, not all very well and good but asking us that question you know what is wrong with you as people who have always been disabled and are born disabled that's an annoying enough question but I think what people also forget is when they ask someone that who has acquired a disability they might be asking them to relive the most traumatic experience of their life yeah. their entertainment into like you know in five seconds and what have they gained by hearing
1: something traumatic like a car crash where
2: other people may have died you know it's just not
1: it's funny I am I've I'm sure I've said on the show before that you would never that the people the people who ask those questions would never consider asking that question to a non-disabled person about their medical history and I think the example I gave was Mm. you know when you you would never expect somebody to go up to a new mother and say oh look at your baby how was your vaginal delivery but, can I have a look at the stitches? <laughs> but since <laughs> since becoming a parent, um, I have been asked mm. on more than one occasion about my pregnancy and my birth. Really? And I have adopted my yeah. child. I've adopted my child, so I do not have a pregnancy or birth story. And so for me, I'm then expected to share something super personal about the fact that actually my child is adopted um with a stranger because they're like oh you know how much was he when he was born well you know it's it's that it's it's very strange so how do you navigate that question alice (sighs) honestly it depends um really sometimes when it's somebody i don't think i'm ever going to see again i'll be like oh you know fine Mm. But fine.
0: If it's, yeah, it was a breeze. I'm absolutely fine. I snapped back into, into
1: like my yeah, jeans. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, nine months of bliss, no problems at all. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> oh, oh, but when it's the lady who's doing my nails and will be doing my nails for the next mm. 40 minutes and who I have to see every time I get my nails done. Uh, it's a more difficult conversation because it's not also not just my personal story anymore. It's my child's. Yeah. Um, And it's just, it was, it took me by surprise because I expect, I expect from people when they come up to me and say, Oh, are you training the dog, my guide dog? And I always say, no, she's my Uh working guide dog. I'm Mm. legally blind. And people go, Oh, you don't look at what happened. I'm used to that. But it was a shock. I I yeah. didn't realize, and I there is a part of me that honestly believes that if it was men who had babies, those questions wouldn't be asked.
0: No, absolutely, they would Nobody would ask anything, yeah. would they? Really? They're like, oh, keep keep it to yourself, Gary. Will you please? I don't want to know. Um, I, I just think people are just nosy bastards, aren't they? You just just keep your nose out of my business, you strange man at the bus stop. <laughs>
1: It's it's a very it's a very weird thing that we seem to think socially that it's okay to ask people about their private medical history. Yeah, like yeah, very strange. I think
2: it's something going through um, IVF. Something that I hadn't considered prior to doing it was that obviously people have lots of opinions about disabled bodies. People also have lots of opinions about pregnant or would be pregnant bodies, mm. and when you bring those two things together,
0: oh yeah, <laughs> it's
2: interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, Oh, oh yeah. Um, I am currently six months pregnant, and congratulations. Um, yeah, I congratulations. thank you. Yes, it was the uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, I have had people, which has surprised me, and then I feel, to be honest. Really naive for being surprised about these questions. I'm like, I've lived this life for 36 years. Why am I surprised that people have questions about this? But once I was, um, yeah, I'm very obviously pregnant now, and I have been for a couple of months. And I was at the pharmacy um, a month or so ago and saw this woman who I don't know, but um, I recognized her because she used to come into the bookshop that I used to work at back in the day. But it's been so long, so long. I, I don't know her name. Don't know anything. Anyway. She saw me and she said, "Oh, Jen, I didn't know you were pregnant. Congratulations!" And I thought, "Oh, thank you." Um And she, and you know, she. I think she said, "You know, when is it due? And how are you?" And then her next question was, "The baby's okay, though, isn't it?" she Christ. Like, um "What do you, what do you, what do you mean?" And I could feel this like dawning sensation. I was like, "Oh, shit. they're they're okay, aren't they?" And I said, "Well, I, I just, I just." like pleaded ignorance I was just like what do, what do you I don't know what you mean yeah, I, and she got really annoyed and flustered and said it's very important to think about the health of your oh. baby and I think you probably should have thought about that, that. and I'm like well, obviously I like on, no honestly I was just like the, the amount that I have thought about it yeah and you know my baby I mean to overshare on this project does not have my disability but also I was really reluctant to say that to her it's like a golden because she's more than others like that's not the point exactly exactly she's got the name she's got the name she's got the information she's got what she wanted but also that's not the point and it's not the answer like the point is at least from my point of view it's none of your business and why are you asking these questions (laughs) um yes so people are very keen to ask stuff like that and think that they can and think that they're entitled yeah yeah.
0: the 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 thing that Alice uh, taught me very early on in our friendship was why are you telling people about things that they don't need to know? You don't. Why are you automatically telling people things that yeah. you don't? They don't need to know. Um, and I didn't really realise that I was yeah. doing it until Alice pointed it out. Now I am like, I'm not telling you that. Why uh, some? We had a phone call from us uh, from the council social worker i've never had a social worker with my life and she started to talking to my mom because i was at work i was finishing off work and she started talking to my mom about the equipment i've got in my house but <laughs> well, we, i never spoken to this one before in my life and i just <laughs> i said let me sp- uh, let me speak to her and i said like i'm not altogether happy about telling you somebody who i've never seen in person mm. never spoken to i don't know what you're going to do with this information where's where's this information going like why yeah. am i sharing
1: this information with you yeah you know, I, that's that's honestly, my immediate I question d- have, is who has rung social services and gone oh someone needs to check up on lucy
0: yeah they were like oh she's got a, you've got a lift and you've got this and, and then um my mom said do you want to speak to lucy and i was like give me, give me the phone give me the phone give me the phone and um she said like i said oh I, you know I, I work part-time but i work and it's this like surprise that i go to work and i've got a job and then before she finished the conversation with me she says well you seem very together like you're with it and i just thought are you joking we spent an hour on the phone to you like and i was really and you're like that's what
2: i've been waiting for Mm -hmm. my entire life is for you to call me and tell me <laughs> that I seem to have it all together. Now my life is complete. Thank
0: you so much. I'm going much. to put it on my LinkedIn <laughs> and just tell yeah. everybody that my life is together
1: and I know what I'm doing.
0: <laughs>
2: OK, so that's what Lucy's doing. Yeah. Sandra
1: <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> down at I'm social doing. services. She says, you're doing good. OK, we've given Lucy the go-ahead <laughs> to continue living. <laughs> Can
0: I have a badge? Yes.
2: Yeah. so Lucy's going to put that as her... Like, profile. This is going to say, Sandra says that I've got my life together. And I'm going to change my profile so that it says opinionated disabled person. Alice, what are you going to do? What's your new pledge?
1: Um, My new pledge is it's none of your business. Stop looking at my
2: private social media. Yay! Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) We solved it all.
1: Jen, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs)
2: No, thank you for asking me. It's lovely. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, do uh, you where want can to tell find our
0: listeners? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Go on, Alice. You do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> where can they find me? Yeah. Uh, uh, I am smothered all over the
0: internet.
2: <laughs> people can find me. Uh, if you just Google Jen Campbell, you will find my website, which has links to everything. But generally, on social media handles, I am Jen V. The letter V, which stands for Victoria. My name jen v campbell on uh instagram youtube yeah and the uh place formerly known as twitter are yes brilliant
0: (laughs) thank you so much for joining us jen this has been absolutely wonderful i do hope that we'll be able to keep in touch yes please that would be great
1: um if you enjoyed this episode you all know what to do you can leave a review on uh all of the podcast platforms and please share the show with your friends because it's a really great way to help us get more listeners Uh, I think that's all for this week Lucy we'll see everybody next time bye 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 for now bye Thanks for listening to the Labelled Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe, and you can follow us on social media at Labelled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall, our music was by
0: Maisie Crunden, and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved.